How do you receive deliverance from our called oppression and bondage? Well, first of all, let me give you several steps involved in that. If you go back to 2 Timothy, um, no, I'm sorry, turn to Acts chapter 19. I think this would be a better illustration. The first thing is that in order for a person to be delivered from the oppression of Satan and the powers of darkness is that first of all you have to believe in such things. You have to believe that Satan does exist. You have to believe that he does have a demonic host that carries out his commands and oppression. You have to believe that and I'm not I'm assuming that you do. Some of you might be newer and you've never studied this in the Word of God, and you need to study it. And if you need help, I can show you uh, some literature and books and so forth to study it well. But for the most part here in the assembly, I believe that we all here know and believe in the existence of Satan and a demonic host. The Bible clearly teaches that such uh, powers exist. With that in mind, then you first of all need to believe and understand that a Christian can be oppressed by the powers of darkness. That's the second thing. And there are a number of different places in the Bible where this is demonstrated, where you find a Christian being oppressed or uh, being hindered or in some way being uh, hampered by Satan and the powers of darkness. Let me give you some quick illustrations of that, and then we'll look at Acts 19. Take, for example, in Matthew 16. Maybe we'll look at this, and I won't go quite as fast over some of this. Look at Matthew 16. For example, here is the case of the Apostle Peter. Jesus asks the question to the twelve that are with him, Whom do men say that I am? In verse 13... When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And some said, they said, Well, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're Elijah, some say you're Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And they weren't talking here about reincarnation, but the Bible prophesied that there would be some prophets in the latter days that would rise up from the past. And I believe them to be Enoch and Elijah. Moses also can be included in that because they did. Uh, there's no testimony with Enoch and Elijah. They didn't die. God just took them. With Moses, his body was not uh, found, and it would appear like God is going to allow them to be raised from the dead and come forth in the end of the age. But anyways, I don't want to get into that subject. Uh, anyways, there, this is what they're talking about. And verse 15, he said, Well, whom do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he said, Thou art the Christ, he said, You're the Messiah. You are God's Son. You're equal to God. He knew that he was, he was God in the flesh. And Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood 
has not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whosoever, whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. A great principle for deliverance, the power and authority that we have over Satan to bind and loose. But on the basis of Peter's confession that he said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my, but my Father has. Tremendous revelation. There are a lot of Christians today that don't grasp the, grasp the depth of what he's here. I was talking to one the other day who said that at a Bible study, he had brought out how that God is one and was talking about the oneness of God. And the people all in the, in, 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 in the Bible study professed to be Christian, they all had a hard time of it because they said, no, God, the, the Bible says that God is three, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And he came to me and I said, well, there's a balance here. God is one, but he manifests himself as three. But most people today in the churches, when they think of God, they think of that there's a figure up there called the Father and a figure up there called the Son and, a, and the Holy Spirit they're not quite sure of, but they still think in terms of how that we have three gods. We don't have three gods. We've got one God who eternally manifests himself as three. This revelation was given to Peter. Now, while... Peter then thought on that. I'm sure he just felt like he was really up there because of the great revelation and compliment paid to him by the Lord. Jesus went on to talk about the sufferings and persecution that he was going to go through before crucifixion. And in verse 22, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. And he turned and said, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. He was blessed with the revelation of the Lord, and yet turned right around, and the same Peter was being used as a mouthpiece, a spokesman for Satan. The Satan was speaking right through him. He was using him. So don't, don't imply, the Bible says, for example, in Acts 5, that when Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, Peter said that why has Satan, why have you allowed Satan to fill your heart? They were under the influence of Satan in Acts 5 when they lied. Uh, in Acts 8 you read about Simon who was a believer who was still caught up into his occult practices and Peter told him he needed to repent. Peter here is used of the devil. And the Bible speaks how the Paul was buffeted by Satan. And if you look over to uh, First Thess 2 Thessalonians, we're told that there will be a great falling away at the end of the age. And this falling away is by Christians that will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Second Thessalonians. Uh, chapter 2, 
Well, that was, this one speaks of it, but I was thinking of another one when I mentioned it. But here in Second Thessalonians 2, he's talking about Christians and a falling away. He says, for example, in verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, that son of perdition. But that falling away that he refers to, if you look at First Timothy uh, chapter 4 and verse 1, First Timothy 4, and verse 1 says, Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. The Bible says that a Christian can be oppressed by the powers of darkness. And that's why we're admonished over and over again, like in 1 Peter 5.8, to be sober, to be vigilant, because their adversary the devil is as a roaring lion. Ephesians 4.27 Give no place to the devil. James 4.7 Resist the devil and he shall flee. If we were not to be concerned about the power that Satan has, then we wouldn't be warned to be watchful and on guard against his power. So it is possible for a Christian to be oppressed by the powers of darkness, especially when they get involved in the occult, which is a violation of the second commandment. Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 18, and so forth. So deliverance, if you go back to Acts 19, which is where I started before I got off onto that, deliverance comes by, first of all, making sure that you're a Christian. That's the first thing. Deliverance comes to those that are Christians. The Bible says that deliverance is the children's bread. It doesn't belong to those that are not born again, that are not saved. It's the children's bread. Verse 7. First of all, you have to be God's child. Listen to me. What, what I, want, I want to say this before we read this. You may really want a person to be delivered and set free from something. It may be a relative, it may be a friend, maybe a co-worker. And you know that they're involved in the occult, and you know they're being oppressed of the devil because of their occult involvement, and you may really want to see them delivered from it. But let me tell you, no matter how much you may want it, if they don't want it, it isn't going to happen. Same thing is true in psychiatry. There are people that have got mental problems and emotional problems, but no psychiatrist or psychologist can help them if they don't want help. You can't force it upon them. If they don't want help, all you can do as a Christian is pray for them. You can share with them the word, as we said before, be patient, apt to teach, instructing those that impose themselves. If God peradventure will give them uh, repentance of the acknowledging of the truth, but if they don't want it, you can't argue them into it, and you simply have to pray for them. They have to want it. But if they want it, the very first thing that's necessary if you're going to lead a person into uh, confession of deliverance, if you're going to lead them in deliverance, is they first of all must be a Christian. In Mark chapter 7, we read in verse 25, a certain woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit, heard of him and came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, Seraphonician, by nation, 
And she besought him that he would cast forth the devil out of her daughter. And Jesus said unto her, Let the children first be filled, for it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Now what did he say? He said deliverance is the children's bread. Even if you could get a person delivered of the powers of darkness, if they, were, if they did not become a Christian, they'll lose their deliverance. They'll lose it and it'll become worse than it was at the first. The first thing is that they must become a Christian. And then secondly, if you go back to Acts chapter 19, not only must they... Uh, not, not only must they believe, but they need to confess their sins. Now, we didn't read Acts 19, so I want you to go over there because you'll see what we're saying by what is here. This is the case where the Bible says special miracles are wrought by the hands of Paul. Verse 12 of Acts 19. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and diseases, and they departed from them, and evil spirits went out from them. People were receiving deliverance because of proxy faith. Proxy faith means that sometimes a person that uh, is in need of healing or is in need of deliverance, and they can't be present, another person may have something anointed like a handkerchief or an apron. He speaks of something here, and then as they go back and share with them the word, and that point of contact was, is made with that object, that person can be delivered and set free. Now, see, this is, this is not magic. This is what the Bible says, that it was a special miracle that was given through the hands of Paul. As I said earlier, there is a counterfeit to everything that's true. So this is why objects can be a source of blessing or can be a source of curse. In this case, they're a source of blessing. I remember in the early days of our Christianity, there were a number of people that were healed and delivered and prayed for as relatives would take handkerchiefs and so forth, and we would all uh, pray over the handkerchief, and then they might send it to them in another state. They were praying for you and for you to be healed, and the church prayed over this handkerchief, and, and they would take that and... With that and the prayer of faith and the word, they'd be healed and delivered. There's a, there is a truth to the uh, to what is here. But anyways, certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists took them took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus, saying, "We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches." And there were seven sons, one Sceva, a Jew, chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, and they overcame them, and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked wounded. And this was known to all the Jews and Greeks who were dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Now listen to the next two verses. And many that believed came and confessed, and literally uncovered their past practices. When he says showed their deeds, they uncovered their past practices. And many of them also, which used curious arts, 
brought their books together and burned them before men, and they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. And so mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Now, there's a lot here in this verse, in verse 18. That deliverance came, first of all, to those that, number one, that believed. Because deliverance is the children's bread. Now, if you're ministering to a Christian, or you yourself think that you need to go through alcohol deliverance, you don't get born again again. You get born again once when you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so it's not like you need to go through a prayer of repentance and and asking Jesus to come into your heart, be Lord and Savior of life and all that. No, it's just simply acknowledging that you are a Christian. If you're leading somebody in deliverance, you get them to acknowledge that they are Christian, that they are born again, that they have received Christ as their Savior. And if you yourself are taking yourself through deliverance, it's just simply thanking God for the salvation that you receive uh, and affirming that you are a Christian. But the second thing is to confess those occult sins. It's to confess those sins and occult practices and ask forgiveness for them. Notice in Acts 18, many believed and came and confessed. It is to confess those occult sins and receive forgiveness for them. Again, let me read to you from an example from Dr. Freeman's book, Angels of Light. And this is just an example. I'm not saying you can repeat the words, but when I'm taking a person through occult deliverance, I will follow this method, and I've always found it works. He states in his book that we need to confess these occult practices as sin. And he says, here's an illustration of like what we would say. Father, I confess that I have sinned against your word by consulting a fortune teller, by attending a seance or spiritualist meeting, by inquiring with the Ouija board, by having warts or burns removed, by magic charming, by following the horoscope, by being hypnotized, by divining for water. I confess these practices of sin, as well as anything else of this nature which I have forgotten, and I ask and accept your forgiveness in Jesus' name. It's confessing our faults, confessing our sins before the Lord. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 that if we're not willing to confess our sins before the Lord, we're not going to receive forgiveness. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13, He that covers his sins shall not prosper, but whosoever confesses and forsakes them shall have mercy. You've got to be willing to confess your sins. I mean, you know, a person may be going through oppression in their family. And it's going to apply in a lot of ways. You, you, it could be a lack of spiritual interest and desire. Maybe it's some physical abnormality we talked about. Uh, any form of the curse. And it just seems like the devil has a grip on your family. And maybe it's because of your involvement in reading the daily horoscope. You just think it's fun and games. So you just read the paper, the daily horoscope, and then along comes a minister like myself and brings out that the horoscope is something that's uh, an occult sin. 
And so you just don't want to confess it. You want to say, oh, I just don't think, I don't take it literally. I don't really apply it to my life. It's just curiosity. It's just fun and games. If you're not willing to confess that as sin and repent and turn from it, then you're going to stay in your oppression. You've got a door open, and Satan is going to have access because of that open door to come in it whenever he wants and to oppress. You're not going to get deliverance to your willing to confess the fact that, yes, it is wrong. It is a sin. And I ask for forgiveness. But if you cover it over with your excuses of why that it's just to you fun and games, it may just be to you fun and games. But it's a lot more than fun and games. Satan is using it as a, as a means to hide under to bring oppression into your family. And we've already dealt with astrology. And so I'm not going to try to get back into that. But anyways, 1 John 1, if we want deliverance, we must first of all recognize that we have sinned and opened up the door, and we need deliverance because of that sin that opened up the door. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. First John 1, 9 and 10. You have to be willing to confess those alcohol practices as sin. And you say, well, what about if it's something that was before I became a Christian? Sometimes people will say, well, all my sins were forgiven when I became a Christian, so therefore that should be covered under the once-for-all sins that took care of that were taken care of before I came to Christ. Well, in one sense, that's true. All of our sins before we came to Christ have been forgiven. But there's a place of recognizing that if you're looking at your life or the life of another person, that you're looking for, for how did this oppression come into my family? You've got to be looking for a door. There's a door open somewhere. And if you say, I'm, I'm not involved in magic, witchcraft, seances, fortune-telling, I'm not involved in that now, and yet Satan still has some way of, of oppressing my family, my life. Then there's a place where if you say, I know in the past I did all that, but that's in the past and I'm not doing it now, there's still a place of confessing to what was past to close the door. Even you have opened a door in the past, Satan's allowed to come in, now you have the responsibility to boot him out. And a part of that process is to recognize that that's where he came in and to seek forgiveness for that from the Lord. Again, let me quote from Dr. Freeman's book. He brings out that it's not so much asking for forgiveness of a sin because it's already been forgiven but it is acknowledging that through that sin Satan now has been able to gain access he says state something like this in prayer Heavenly Father I thank thee for now showing me the sinful character of alcohol practices and I hereby acknowledge that it was my visit to the fortune teller inquiring with the Ouija board, attending a seance, and so on, in violation of the scriptures, which opened the door to my oppression and which was the cause of my present problems, 
at the hand of the enemy. I believe that all my sins are under the blood of Christ, including these which thou hast shown me in Jesus' name. It's not asking forgiveness for what's already been forgiven, but it is recognizing that that is the sin that opened the door, that caused the problems, and you are confessing in the sense of a form of thanksgiving to God for showing you the problem. So there is, number one, you must make sure the person is a believer. Number two, they need to, to confess and acknowledge those things as sins. And thirdly, then you need to renunciate and command Satan to depart in that area of your life in Jesus' name. There must come forth a form of renunciation. The Bible says in in Mark 16, These signs shall follow them that believe. Number one, in my name shall they cast out demons. Satan has to be cast out. In James chapter 4 and verse 7, we're told, Resist the devil, and he shall flee. In the book of Luke chapter 10, I'd like you to turn there. We have been given authority over all the power of the enemy, and we're to use that authority. Luke 10, after the 70 return, in verse 17, he said, it says, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Notwithstanding in this, rejoice not that spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. But notice what he said there. He said, the spirits are subject to us. When you renounce Satan, You don't pray to him. It's not a prayer. You recognize that a door has been opened. Satan is allowed to infiltrate your house, to oppress harm in some way, and you've got now the authority and the responsibility to tell him to get out. It would be just like, for example, if I was sitting at my table in my kitchen and maybe having a cup of coffee with my wife or whatever, and all of a sudden I glanced over to the side and I saw something kind of scooting around, some running through the house, and I walk walk out into the other room and I see a dog that's in my house or a cat. And I don't know how it got in. I look around there's a door open. And so this critter somehow got in my house because a door was left open. I mean, this is not uncommon. We got we got wild rabbits and cats running around the yard right now. I don't know who they are. They're not ours. But if I saw that animal in my house, what would I do? I'd say, I'd open the door and I'd say, get out. Get out of here. I'd tell it to get. I mean, I even do, I even do that with bats. My wife says, kill him. I open the door and say, get out. <laughs> I'm just making a point. A bat's not going to hear what I'm saying or understand. But I'm using the authority that I've got with an animal. I'm using my authority to tell it to do what I want it to do. A person that has an authority 
You don't ask somebody to do something. You tell them to do something. You tell them in a respectful, polite way. I'm a manager. When I want something done, I don't say to the guys I manage, I say, hey, guys, do you feel like doing this or that? I say, here's your assignments for the night. I want this done, this done, this done, and this done. I just tell them what I want. And I walk away, and I assume that it's done. If I come in the morning and it's not done, then when they come in and like on second shift or whatever, if it's a problem and I wasn't there, then I'll sit down and talk to them and say, what happened here? Why didn't this get done? I'll say, if you don't get it done, make sure you leave me a note. But otherwise, I expect it to be done. That's what authority is. Look at Matthew 8. If you tell somebody to do something, you expect it to be done. I'm not going to be a babysitter and, and walk around with them and take their hand and beg them and plead them and ask them to do this or that. They're expected to submit to authority. Now, Satan is not going to submit to your authority just because you're you, but he submits to the name of Jesus, the authority that we've been given in Christ. He recognizes that there's authority in the name of Jesus. And if you're a believer and you've been given that authority by Christ, when you use it, he has to go. In Matthew 8, here's an example of authority. A man from Capernaum came to Jesus, verse 6, saying, Lord, my servant lies at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. And the centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. We do not. There's no way you can grab a hold physically of a demon and pull him out of somebody. You can't grab a hold of the devil and pull him out. The authority comes by your word. It's not by how loud you are. It's not by how much you scream, yell, stop, or anything else. It's authority that you've got to understand in your heart, you've got the authority over all the power of the enemy, and when you tell him to go, he must go. But it's a matter of doing it by faith. He said, I'm a servant, I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goes. To another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. Jesus, he said to Jesus, you don't need to come and lay hands on my son, on my servant. Speak the word only. That word of authority is all that is necessary, and it will be taken care of. And Jesus said unto him, I have not found so great a faith, nor not in all of Israel. God expects us to do the same thing. Resist the devil, and he will flee. Cast out the devil, Mark 16. Use the authority that we have over him. That's what, go back and look at Luke chapter 10. That's what they said. Lord, the demons are subject unto us through thy name. Well, they couldn't have pulled them out, grabbed them out, or anything else. They spoke the word, and through the power in the name of Jesus, the demons became in submission to them and their word through his name. Now, that's the way it is. So deliverance comes by renunciating the powers of darkness and commanding them to depart and to leave. Now, there are some situations where a person, I always encourage people, you tell the devil to go. You, you repent and ask forgiveness and then you tell the demons in that 
area of your life to depart and to loose you in Jesus' name. To bind them and cast them out. You do it. There may be some situations where a person is severely oppressed and you may need to help them, but it needs to be an individual matter of faith, just like healing. It's an individual situation. And lastly, deliverance is a walk of faith. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Deliverance is a walk of faith. There may be, if a person is delivered of something, there may be some outward manifestation that occurs. It can be as slight as a sigh. It may be as severe as a wallowing, foaming, gnashing, and so forth. That could be extreme. I've read books of people that, as they went through deliverance, manifested real extreme forms of manifestations of deliverance. Vomiting up buckets of snakes and everything else that are that are supernatural and extremely far out this type of stuff. I think it was years ago. My wife and I read a book called "Was It the Deliverance of Ruth?" Do you remember Jane, the Deliverance of Jane? Really far out stuff that takes a lot more faith to believe that than anything else. But anyways. I've always encouraged people, don't go by a manifestation. Don't go by a feeling. Take your deliverance by faith. You command the devil to go in Jesus' name and believe he's gone. That's it. It's done. And then you've got the responsibility that once you command him to go, to walk it out. In Matthew chapter 12, at verse 43, we read, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man... He walks through dry places seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I'll return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he finds it empty and swept and placed in order, garnished. And then goes he and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell therein. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be with this wicked generation. When you command a spirit to go, I believe that spirit will go. You need to believe that spirit will go. But when that spirit goes, then you need to walk in a new way of life. Romans ten seventeen. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Fill yourself up with God's Word. You need to really focus on promises of protection and uh protection from the powers of darkness and so forth, like Psalm 91, Romans 8, 28. Meditate upon those scriptures. Joshua 1, 8 says that we are to search out the word and then meditate upon the word day and night, that we may be strong and that we may be free. John 10, Jesus said, if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. You've got to study the word, learn the word, get it into your heart. Meditate upon the Word. And then when the devil comes along and tries to uh, tempt you, to doubt, to question, to get back into your old ways, resist the devil and he will flee. You need to develop, develop a solid prayer life. Jude 20 says that we can build ourselves up in the most holy faith by praying in the Spirit. Prayer in tongues, prayer in the Spirit, 
will enable you and help you to resist the temptation to get back into the old ways. The temptation to doubt, to question, to become depressed, to become worried can be overcome through praise. Isaiah 61 says, God has given unto us the spirit of praise, or the garment of praise, for the spirit of heaviness. All of these are the basic principles of spiritual warfare which we've taught on in kind. But praise, prayer, the word, you and I have got the responsibility to get ourselves in the word, develop a solid prayer life, develop a solid praise and worship life, and we have a responsibility to uh, fellowship with other believers. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. You've got to get settled somewhere in a church where the Word is being taught and you're hearing the Word on a regular basis and you're fellowshipping with families and people that are in the church. It's the fellowship with other believers sometimes that can be a source of encouragement and strength to help you resist and overcome. can't isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourselves from other Christians that are not a part of this church. We're not the only Christians in the world. That's obvious. We're not the only true church in the world. That's obvious. Fellowship with other believers. And encourage yourself uh, being around other believers. And, and you can learn from them. And they can learn from you. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 24. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we've received the truth, knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, and so forth. But he's saying unto us here that we need to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I mean, if you spend all your time fellowshipping with people that are not Christians, they're going to pull you down. The Bible says, be not deceived. Bad company corrupts good good manners, good morals. If you run with the world, you're going to be like the world. You're going to think like the world. You're going to act like the world. The world's going to get you caught up in the same old occult sins and involvement you were in before. you got to fellowship with believers. You got to attend church. You got to hear the word. You got to develop a spiritual, uh, a prayer life, a praise life, a study of the scripture. You've got to fill that house before it was filled with alcohol practices and worldly things. You've cast the devil out because that only brought about oppression. You cast him out. But if you go back into the same old worldly ways and worldly things and don't fill yourself up with the children's bread that you're not going to walk in the deliverance that is yours. You've got to take that responsibility and feed yourself regularly with God's Word. So the steps of deliverance are this. Number one, you've got to confess that you're a Christian. If you're not, if you are a Christian, just affirm it. Number two, you need to confess those occult practices and sins that you were involved in and to ask forgiveness for them or if they were something in the past and you've already asked forgiveness for them, just reaffirm and thank God that they have been forgiven 
and you recognize that it was through that that it opened up a door. Number three, resist the devil. Command Satan in Jesus' name to depart in those areas. Number four, fill yourself up with the word of God because deliverance is a walk that you take by faith. If there's a manifestation, fine. But if there's not, you don't just keep on rebuking the devil and rebuking the devil until somebody foams at the mouth or something. I mean, there's a balance here. Some people get to extremes whereby they can't see something. They don't believe the demon is gone. And there's a place of recognizing that it comes by faith. If you see something, fine. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. He's not going to respond by some manifestation. He's, he's responding because the authority that you've spoken in the Word. You read men like Wigglesworth, for example. They knew the authority they had. They command a demon out in Jesus' name, and then they walk away. And I remember one time, I recall in a past where uh, this demon began to start manifesting itself after he walked away. It was still coming forth, and he turned around and said, Are you still here? You know, it's like, I told you to get out. You've got to know who you are. The devil is one that is an attention seeker. I remember years in the past where some people, they had a spirit of attention. They always wanted more and more deliverance and always wanted more and more prayer because they had an attention seeking spirit. And there's a place where a person like that just simply has to be told, believe it and receive it and it's done, period. Don't just keep coming up anymore. You've got to believe it at some point that it's done. And as they did that, they received deliverance. So, I've given you the basic foundation over the last several weeks of what is here. There are many, many good Christian books on the market. You can study, you can read. Angels of Light is one I've been quoting from this morning. Dr. Freeman has a, not only that book, but a track out on how to receive deliverance from occult involvement. And that track, you can read it, follow the instructions. And the Bible says, whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You can be delivered and set free. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for revealing to us by your word that deliverance is the children's bread. We thank you for revealing to us in the studies how that involvement in the occult is an abomination unto you because it's seeking wisdom and power and knowledge from another God. And that you have, you told the children of Israel and told us Christians as well that we were to have no other gods before you. Father, we thank you for revealing all this truth to us that we might be delivered and set free from doors that we've opened in the past through these sins to whereby Satan is able to oppress our marriages, our minds, our physical lives. We thank you for revealing this truth to us. And we thank you for showing us how that you've given us power and authority through the word and through your name that we can not only close the door but cast Satan out of our life, close the door behind him, and fill ourselves up with the power of the Word and the Holy Spirit, 
and be delivered and set free from Satan's oppressing forces. Father, we thank you for setting us free. We pray the word would be received by all and that it would be applied by all so that we can know what it is to be free indeed. Father, we thank you for all this truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Whom the sun sets free is free indeed. God bless you all.